Exclusiveness and attitudes of superiority can divide and kill churches and individuals. Trent Griffith explains. Humility values diversity. Humility is the antidote to division in the church. Humility is the antidote to gossip and slander in the church. Humility believes I can't do it all by myself. And yet John and apparently these disciples had such a spirit of elitism, they thought, us two, not you, us four, no more. You've gotta be one of us in order to do it. Humility doesn't do that. Greatness is revealed when I don't demand that everyone do things my way. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. So have you ever made out a resume? I think most of us probably have. You list your credentials, your accomplishments, your experience, anything that you think might be relevant to the job that you're applying for. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you were applying to become a great disciple of Jesus, what qualifications would you list? What would you put on your discipleship resume? In fact, some of Jesus' disciples actually did argue with each other about who was greater, and Jesus wasn't impressed. Last week, Pastor Trent started a message titled, Called to Greatness. So let's review some highlights from last week, and then he'll finish up the message. Here's Trent Griffith speaking at Gospel City Church. What we're gonna learn from Jesus today is who he says you are. You are not who you think you are. And if you want to be the greatest, you have to become like a child. And we're gonna see that here in the passage this morning. Got four points for you this morning. I'm gonna throw the first point at you before I read it. Here it is. Greatness is exemplified by Jesus's work on the cross. Let's pick up the story. Luke chapter nine, verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were marveling at everything he was doing, remember the things that he was doing? What was he doing? He was healing the sick. He was feeding 5,000. He was casting out demons. He was raising the dead. I mean, while they were marveling at simultaneous, don't miss anything in the language of scripture here. While they were marveling, while their heads were exploding with the power and the authority and the greatness of the majesty of Jesus. Notice what Jesus said to his disciples, verse 44. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Why? To show the greatest act of humility in the history of the world. You think raising the dead is great? You think getting healed of sickness is great? You think casting out demons is great? Let these words sink down deep into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of 
men. Let's find out if they understood. Here's the second point. Greatness is determined by the depth of my humility. Greatness is determined by the depth of my humility. So Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. My hands are going to be nailed. I'm going to put your life in front of my life. I'm not going to defend Greatest act of humility in human history. Next verse, verse 46. And an argument arose among them about which one was the greatest. It says, he took a child, put him by his side, and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. Do you understand? Jesus did not rebuke them for their desire to be great. Jesus wants you to have an ambition to be great. I want to be a great disciple. To aspire to greatness is something Jesus doesn't rebuke. He just redefines what it means to be great. To be great means you have to become like a little child. But the problem is, is our hearts break out into arguments all the time about how great we are. That's what the disciples were doing. Inside my heart, there is an argument for my greatness. I, in a sense, I just, it's the broken part of me. It's the pride deep down on the inside. I stand before Jesus and I'm like, I'm pretty great. Don't you think, Jesus? I mean, look at me. Because, I mean, if you compare me to all the other people in the room, I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And we want to argue for our greatness. But listen, the cross of Jesus Christ argues against my greatness. If there was any greatness in me, the cross would be unnecessary. The cross shouts, I'm not great. Who does Jesus say I am? Not great. Not great. You want to be great, you have to redefine your definition of greatness. Pride is a disease that lives on the inside of me that is only treated and cured at the cross. And at the cross, nobody's great. You come to the cross, you set your face on the cross, you focus on the cross, and it shouts to you, you should humble yourself in the presence of the greatest act of humility that's ever been done in human history. I want to be great at being the least. I want to be great at putting the needs of others, especially my wife, ahead of myself. I want to be great at setting others up to win. I want to be great at putting others in a position to thrive. I want to be great about talking about the greatness of others, not the greatness of me. I want to be great at being unknown. I want to be great at being ignored. I want to be great at being misunderstood. I want to be great at being insulted. I want to be great at being slandered. I don't know about you, I am not great at those things. But I aspire to grow as a disciple because the depth of my greatness is determined by the depth of my humility. You know what a disciple says? I want to be great at being crucified. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. 
How are you doing at that? That's what God calls us to, not to argue with ourselves about our greatness. Here's the third thing. Greatness is revealed when I don't demand that everyone do things my way. Let's see what happens next. Let's see if the disciples are gaining some understanding. Jesus, okay, here's a child. You need to be like the child. Be like the least. All right, so John steps up in verse 49. Let's see if he figures it out. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Now, what would you expect to come next for a great disciple? I think a great disciple would have said, we were so happy. We were so glad that we weren't the only ones fighting with the devil. We, we, we gathered around and we prayed and, and we even took notes on how they cast them out. John says, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Uh, no, John, you, you don't quite understand. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. So, they, they still don't understand here. Um, I spent this week in Oklahoma with my mom. So I told you my mom fell, she broke her ankle, brought her home and got her settled this week in her home. And uh, so last night I flew back here in anticipation of being with you this morning. I got um, at the airport about uh, 10.30, my daughter picked me up. About 11 o'clock last night, we came into my neighborhood. And when we came into my neighborhood, I noticed my very quiet neighborhood had been turned into a block party at one house. And there was a drunken rock concert going on in the backyard of one of my neighbors. And the song that was blaring through my neighborhood at 11 o'clock last night when I drove in was a song I remember hearing back when I was a teenager. It was running with the devil. Some of you started like nodding your head when I was doing like, like, I'm like, are we okay here? So I, I couldn't wait to get to church this morning to do what we did to like drown out what I was hearing last night at 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock and one o'clock in the morning as this was going on. I mean, there was just a spirit of darkness in the neighborhood last night and I was praying, you know. Now listen, last night, if there was some other neighbor that like joined with me in praying against the darkness, and if there was some other neighbor that went over and started like casting out demons out of my neighbor or the neighbor's backyard, I, I would not have cared if they were using the right-handed demon casting technique or the left-handed demon casting technique. It wouldn't have mattered to me if they were male or female, black or white, rich, poor. It wouldn't have mattered if, if they were uh, Wolverine, Irish. It just wouldn't have mattered because I would have just been glad to know I wasn't the only one fighting the devil in my neighborhood last week. But these disciples are so arrogant, they think they're the only ones that can fight the devil. Wait, you, can't, you can't be just like going up and like casting out demons in Jesus' name because you're not part of the 12. You're, 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 you can't do that. You see what pride and arrogance will do? It makes you have a spirit of elitism. And it makes you very critical of people who don't do things exactly like you do things. 
I mean, you, you can't be singing like that song at that decibel level because that was written by some other church that we don't, we've got some theological difference with that other church and over there. And like church governance, you can't go to that church because they govern things differently or men, the, the way they practice the ordinances and different things like that. Listen, listen, listen. You know what Jesus is trying to say here? There's going to be an increasing population that is against us as Christians. If you believe in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you believe in the authority of the Bible, you can be on my team, okay? You, we fight together. We can lock arms. That's why I'm so glad we have partnerships. A Gospel City Church partners with other people because we need help. We can't do it all by ourselves. I love that we have partnered in, in the Great Commission Collective, like-minded churches that are committed to church planting. We're, we're leveraging our new relationship with the North American Mission Board so we can accelerate church planting around here and um, Life Plan, Pregnancy Care Center, Transformation Ministries to get us into some of the places Places that we wouldn't naturally intersect with in our community. We need each other. And so if you are the person that thinks that you have to be the demon casting police or the worship police or, or the preaching police, especially like on social media, like you got no guts at all like to walk up to somebody and talk to them, but man, you are a brave person on Twitter, then you need to take a lesson from Jesus here. Because greatness is revealed when I don't demand that everyone do everything my way. Humility values diversity. Humility is the antidote to division in the church. Humility is the antidote to gossip and slander in the church. Humility believes I can't do it all by myself. And yet John and apparently these disciples had such a spirit of elitism, they thought, us two, not you, us four, no more. You've gotta be one of us in order to do it. Humility doesn't do that. Greatness is revealed when I don't demand that everyone do things my way. Here's the last thing. Greatness refuses to scorch people in need of compassion. Let's see if they're learning their lesson. Maybe it'll get better. Verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, that's a reference to the resurrection and the ascension where Jesus would ascend back to the right hand of the Father. Those days were drawing near. Jesus' earthly ministry was on a countdown clock, and as he set his face toward Jerusalem, notice that's the next thing it says, as the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Verse 51 is a turning point in the gospel of Luke. At this point on, everything Jesus would do would be headed toward the cross. Every step he would take would be headed toward the place of crucifixion in Jerusalem. This would not be his first journey to, to Jerusalem. It would be his last journey to Jerusalem. He set his face. Do you know what that means? He stared intently at the work of the cross that he had to accomplish for sinners like you and me. He stared at the injustice of the cross. He stared at the crown of thorns. He stared at the nails that would go through his hands. Why would he do that? Listen, all for the purpose of absorbing 
the scorching fire of God's judgment on behalf of sinners like you and me. Jesus set his face. He would be unhindered. He would be undeterred. He would be undistracted from the work that God the Father had called him to do. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Verse 52. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans. See the word Samaritan there? Let's talk about the Samaritans. Who were these people? Well, they weren't Jewish they weren't Gentile. They were a mix. Centuries before this time, the northern kingdom of Israel had been invaded by the nation of Assyria. And with those troops, they inhabited that land over the centuries. They intermarried. They produced children and generations of half-breed people, Gentile and Jew, and the Samaritans were the population of people there that still were living in the northern region of Israel. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. This was the most intense racism that you can imagine. And Jesus, a Jew, sent 12 Jewish men into the village of the Samaritans to make preparations. Verse 53, but the people did not receive him. Lots of people don't receive Jesus. Why didn't they receive him? Now, I want you to notice, Luke tells us specifically why they didn't receive him. The reason they didn't receive him was not because he was Jewish. Notice why they didn't receive him. Because his face was set toward Jerusalem. You know what Luke is telling us there? Think back to the nine chapters we've already read and, and studied. What did Jesus do every time he entered a village? He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He raised the dead. He cast out the demons. You know what he did? He set his face on the needs of the people around him and he made their lives easier by the time he left. And do you know what the people did? They received him. They received him because he made their lives easier. They received him because of all the good and generous things he did for them. But what did the people do when he didn't? They didn't receive him because they didn't understand the greatest thing he could possibly do for them was what he was about to do in Jerusalem in dying on the cross in their place as a substitute for their sin to absorb the scorching fire of God's wrath on their sin. So when he didn't do anything tangible or immediate or physical, they had no use for him. Question, you have any use for Jesus if he doesn't heal your sickness? you have any use for Jesus if he doesn't make your life easier? Is it enough for you that he went to Jerusalem and had nails driven through his hands on behalf of you to atone for your sin? Is that enough for you? Or do you only receive him when he makes your life easier? The Samaritans didn't receive him because his face was set on Jerusalem, the cross in Jerusalem. 
So let's see how the disciples respond to these Samaritans. Because, you know, they're learning these lessons in humility. Verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Does that sound humble to you? Does it sound compassionate, caring? No. They're still learning their lesson. And so Jesus, in verse 55, has to rebuke them. He turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Apparently, they forgot what Jesus told them back up in verse 5 of chapter 9, that if you enter a village and they don't receive you, shake the dust from your feet and move on and just entrust them to God. The Samaritans. If the disciples had their way, they would have committed genocide right there on the spot and just annihilated these unbelievers. No second chances, no time for God to work, no time for the Holy Spirit to soften their heart, no praying that God would open their eyes to the power of the gospel. Just anger, hatred, wrath. You make my life harder, so let's just annihilate you. You have any people in your life like that? You just wish you could annihilate them on the spot. You wish you could like call fire down from heaven and consume these people. Yeah, that's because you're not great. That shows a lack of greatness, lack of great humility. Where, where do you think these disciples got this idea of like calling fire down from heaven? Jesus hadn't instructed them on this is the way that you love people. Where did they get that idea? Where had James and John just been? Mount of Transfiguration. Who showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration? Remember Elijah? They must have been having their devotions that morning in 2 Kings chapter 1. Because in 2 Kings chapter 1, it tells about how Elijah called fire down from heaven and it consumed this, this wicked king and his people. And they said, this is a great idea. I mean, we want to be Bible-based Christians, right? We... we we, we need to make sure what we're doing, we have a verse attached to it, right? Do you understand? These guys had great passion. They had a great Bible story, and yet they did not have great humility. Do you understand how dangerous you are when you have great passion, a great Bible verse, and you lack great humility? You're the most dangerous disciple on the planet. The rest of us could get scorched by you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not the way we do things. Jesus had already announced, this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is a year of grace and compassion. We're opening up the gospel to all who will believe and you can be saved. And guys, I've been trying to tell you all along about the cross. I'm going to the cross to absorb the scorching fire of God so the Samaritans don't have to. And do you understand you and I are the Samaritans worthy of the fire of God falling and scorching all of us? We, we deserve all of that. But if Jesus had acted on the advice of James and John, the story that we read about in John chapter 4 never would have happened. Do you remember the woman at the well? Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. And it was at the well. Do you remember that Jesus offered her something? What did he offer her? 
living water. Talk to James and John, you get fire. Talk to Jesus, you get water. Some of you are here today and you're like taking a risk being in church because you've been scorched by some not great disciples. On behalf of the not great disciples of the world, I apologize for the lack of humility that we so, so hard for us to learn. But I got good news. You can bypass the disciples and you can go to Jesus. He's got water. He's got living water. There's compassion, there's grace, there's love, there's provision there. And so don't let a not great disciple keep you from Jesus. The woman at the well didn't. Understand that greatness refuses to scorch people in need of compassion because we know that the Son of God has been scorched in our place. Why don't you stand with me right now? And would you just take a moment there? What, what would the Lord say to you right now? Do you want to be great? You can be, but you've got to be willing to become the least. You've got to understand the purpose of the cross. You've got to go to the cross, set your face on the cross. Listen, are you willing to spend your life elevating others and fight for the bottom? You willing to be unknown, ignored, misunderstood, mistreated? That's where the greatness is. Aren't you tired of excluding everybody that doesn't do it your way? That's why you don't have any friends. That's why you can't partner with anybody. That's why nobody gets along with you. Why don't you humble yourself and recognize you, you, need, you need help. You can't do it all alone. Don't annihilate people that get in your way. Patience, compassion. And right now, if you've never come to the cross, humbled yourself, recognizing there is no argument for your greatness before God. The cross argues against you and says, you need the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf. If you'll receive him by faith, you can be saved, you can have a fresh start, new beginning, and that can be the first step in your journey to true greatness. Jesus, thank you for teaching us this morning. And Lord, we do humble ourselves and recognize how arrogant we can be to somehow stand before you and think that we are greater than we are. Lord, change us. I pray that we would leave out of here today offering the good news of the gospel to those all around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. True greatness starts with complete humility, and we see that most clearly on the cross. That's Trent Griffith from Gospel City Church. If you'd like to hear more great teaching, just like we heard today, check out Gospel City Church. Our gatherings happen each week in person and by live stream, and you're invited. There's more information on our website, mygospelcity.org. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And why not follow us on Facebook by searching for Gospel City Church. 
We'll hear more from Pastor Trent next week right here on Resonate. He'll continue in the series, Who Does Jesus Say I Am? And we'll look at what it means to be called a follower of Jesus. I hope you'll join us then. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word and true humility would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.